0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host. we got Travis McQueen. Today, we got a topic. We're going to dive deep into training. Extremely deep. As deep as you can go. Tailoring your training. The tailored method. This is... uh, This is going to be a fun one. Um, This is going to be, we're going to talk about six different things, but I'm probably going to go on some really deep rabbit hole rants for you. So if you like science, you like coaching, you like hearing the nitty gritty about training and how you can optimize results, this is definitely the best podcast for you. Uh, So before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, If you've been here before, we appreciate you coming back. Make sure you share the podcast on your Instagram, tag myself at Cody McBroom, send it to a friend, shoot an email, Snapchat, whatever they got that has you hooked nowadays, post it, share it, send it to a friend. We want to spread the word, get more people listening to the podcast and spreading the free information that we are trying to give to help more people around the world be fit, happier, healthier, less stressed out, and live longer, plain and simple. Amen. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, thank you for being here. That is what we do, what I just explained. So we appreciate you stopping by. We hope you like it. And if you do, do the same thing. Share it with a friend, leave us a five-star rating and review and help us grow this podcast. Uh, Quick shout-outs to what makes this podcast possible. First and foremost, Tailored Coaching Method. You can head over to our website, tailoredcoachingmethod.com. We have a lot, like, I mean, a lot of free content. The best and the most free content in the game and in the industry, and I I really do think that. I don't think anybody puts as much content on their website as we do. Not nowadays. So, if you want in depth content, that's the place to go. Giantlifting.com. You can use TCM10 for 10% off your lifting equipment. They have the best, and they have a lot of new stuff coming out constantly um, and a lot of sales. So, for people listening, had to have hooked up their garage gym, or you have a CrossFit gym, a a regular gym, whatever it may be, or you're just buying stuff for your house, um, just so you know, it's a little hack. If there is a Labor Day sale going on or the back to school sale, or I know they do promos sometimes when they have like a big new shipment of like a new plate style or new colorway or something like that, our code still works on those sales. So if you want like the double whammy sale and they got a sale going on, like jump on it, go follow them. So you're up to date with it, obviously. But um, that was one of the things I texted him when it was Labor Day. I was like, does our code work on these sales? And he was like, yeah, it's they're basically robbing us, but yes, it does. And I was like, perfect. So go go utilize that if you can. And then last but not least, our good friends at first form. Firstform.com slash tailored coaching method for all your supplement needs. Now let's get into it. Let's talk
1: training, man. So like he said, we are gonna get when I say we, I mean Cody is gonna get into the nitty-gritty of tailoring your tra- training. He has come up with six different ways or six different um, variables or pinpoints on how to tailor your training. So let's just get right into it. We're going to start with the first one. He uh, let's talk about personality type and stress responses.
0: So this is one where, in, in it's a good way to put it, variables. Because I think like within this category of variable, there's a bunch of different things, you know. But first and foremost, the the most underrated yet most important factor of training program design is that the client or the individual you listen to this podcast enjoy the training, right? That's one big thing about the Taylor trainer that I love is people really like the training I put into it. Um, And it's one of the things I really focus on with my private clients that I work with is like, are you enjoying what we're doing in the gym? And yes, there is going to be times where you don't enjoy a set. You don't enjoy a rep. It's brutal. Your muscles are burning, whatever it may be. But it's kind of like that sick, twisted pain that you secretly do like. It's never things like if you are going into a workout and you absolutely hate burpees, like not because they're uncomfortable, not because anything like you feel like you're going to get hurt, you don't have fun doing them, and you're repetitively doing them because you think they're a good exercise, stop. There's no reason to. There's no perfect exercise. If you're listening to this and you're like, I fucking hate deadlifts, don't do deadlifts. Like deadlifts are a great exercise. It's one of the most well-known exercises there are, but you don't have to do them, right? They're not the, like, end-all, be-all. There's no perfect exercise, right? So part of what we're going to talk about today is individualizing those to know what are best for you exercise-wise. But part of this is this personality type is making sure you understand the person you're working with or yourself enough to avoid doing things you don't like. Because, number one, if you're not liking it, you're not going to be able to stay consistent with it. And adherence to the plan is the most important thing. You can have a great workout, but... Great results come from following a great training program. A great training program is multiple weeks of training strung together, and each week is multiple workouts strung together. So having one good workout doesn't mean shit, right? Multiple weeks of multiple workouts means you're going to get results.
1: Multiple weeks of multiple good workouts.
0: Bingo, right? And you have to have adherence, right? So if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not going to adhere to the plan properly. Um, Part of that means being motivated. So on top of not enjoying it or, or on top of enjoying it, if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to be motivated to go do it. You're less likely to even get to the gym in the first place. And then last but not least, if you are not enjoying it and you're not motivated to do it, you're probably not going to push yourself very hard. If you're not pushing yourself very hard, you're probably not in what is scientifically shown to be the right range of RPE or RIR, rate of perceived exertion or reps and reserve. Meaning here's your failure point. For those of you listening, I'm just putting my hand out in front of me. You have to get within proximity that, a certain proximity, proximity being distance. So if zero RIR is failure, and that means you're going to maximize muscular stimulation and tension and results short-term, but it generates too much fatigue, therefore you're not able to recover fast enough to go back to the gym tomorrow, or the next day or whatever, then you want to stay one to two reps shy of that. One to two reps shy of that is on 95% of our exercises is going to do just as much from a benefit perspective as going to failure. So most of the time, you can get really close to failure and get the same results you would going to failure, but you recover much better. But if you don't know how to go to failure, you're not going to be able to reach that point. And most people don't have what it takes to push to that point because it's uncomfortable. But I promise you, if you're enjoying your training, you're motivated to train, you're in a good headspace in your training, and you're choosing exercises that you enjoy and like and feel good on your body because of the other things we're going to get into today, you're going to be way more likely to push to that point. And that point is what gets you results. Definitely. right? So... All of this comes down to what the individual really likes and enjoys, but there is more to it. So if you're an experienced coach, you can talk to somebody and you can learn a little bit about them and you'll generally know, right, what their personality type is like and you can probably make some good recommendations. However, you can actually utilize personality typing to literally pinpoint exactly what this person should do in the gym. Now, for most people listening, you won't be able to do this because you, there's no test for this. I have a test for it, but I'm not giving it to you. Um, it's part of my coaching. But the the idea behind it is like everybody's done. Like we've even done this, and and they're really good for the workspace. So you can learn more about your employees and stuff like that. But you can take personality quizzes or types and and figure out more about a person, right? The the love languages quiz that is a personality typing question essentially, and it teaches you a lot about your partner and your clients or your the people work for you and stuff. Um, and the love language is, is kind of like figuring out, okay, what shows this person appreciation? What shows this person love and attention? And which form of appreciation, love and attention do they desire? And so on and so forth. Um, those things matter. But for training, it's, it's harder to do that. So I'm going to give a couple examples so you guys can get an idea of what I'm talking about. But this is something I've uh, stolen from multiple different personality types in and out of the fitness industry, but I've been kind of morphing my own way of creating a quiz for, um, I've been calling it the elite thing. I don't know if I like the name elite. I just don't know what the fuck to call it, yeah. you know, because it's the ultimate tailored experience, right? And so if you're listening to this, the reason we're creating this podcast is because I've been doing this with a select few of people. Um, and I do like the plan was for me to create this, this completely customized, the ultimate tailored coaching experience and it is training and nutrition and it dives into everything we're talking about today and I'm not trying to make a sales pitch but just to give you some context of what we're talking about here this is something I've created and implemented into my own training um, and then my brother-in-law's training who who works out with me um, and then a couple of my WWE people and then I was like okay I'm gonna I want to do something with this I mentioned it in a email briefly um, as, an, a,
1: as a newsletter?
0: Yeah, newsletter. Mm. Like, uh, And uh, a couple people jumped on. So um, I'm going to end up taking, by the time you're listening to this podcast, we're recording ahead of time, I will be taking on two more people. So if you're listening and this stuff intrigues you and you want an extremely customized, the quote-unquote ultimate tailored coaching experience, probably a better name than the elite one, honestly, um, working one-on-one with me where I literally go super in-depth with all of this stuff I'm talking about. Training, nutrition, customizing it so far beyond what you're used to that I promise it's going to make the results 10 times better. And you're going to listen to every reason why with these next six things. And this doesn't even touch on everything to be, uh, be honest with you five, not including what I already said, but um, let us know. You can email me at Cody at tailored coaching method.com. Get a hold of me. Um, let me know you're interested and uh, we can see if it's a good fit for you. Um, it's for more intermediate or advanced individuals because I'm just going to be completely transparent. If you're brand new to lifting, you don't need to spend the extra money to go this deep into stuff. You'll get great results with, with less overwhelm. Yeah. But if you are intermediate, advanced, you're a geek like me, you want to learn and go even further, um, let me know. We can, we can get you started. But um, this quiz, this idea, it's a way for me to determine many different factors of your program design. So for example, some people, and, and a lot of it boils down to hormones and neurochemicals and neurotransmitters in your brain, but we, we don't need to go down this too much of a rabbit hole. We can just kind of figure out the way people respond to certain situations. So general questions that would be helpful in this scenario that I would, I would throw out there, for example, I'm going to ask you, Travis, because this will be easy. I already know the answer to some of these, but um, are, you are you the type, I know the answer to this one, are you the type of person that has to clear their inbox or has a red bubble with thousands of unread emails?
1: <laughs> thousands of read unread emails. So it's, it's not thousands, but we can argue about that all day long.
0: But go ahead. How many are in there?
1: I don't know, man. But definitely not a clear to bubble. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: I think there's more than thousand. <laughs> I think you said there's like thirteen hundred or something last time you checked. Anyway, but not that they're all important. Correct. I'm sure there's a bunch of fucking spam and stuff. But I will go through my inbox and delete every fucking spam email. I will make sure it's in a different folder. Like I, I have to clear my inbox yeah. by the end of the week. You know. Um, but well, those are two completely different people. There's a person that's like, I don't give a shit about the red bubble. And it doesn't stress them out. That is what it is. Um, same thing with your reminders. Yeah, You have a million reminders. That would stress me out so bad. That's accurate. Dude, <laughs> if I get more than five, I'm like, I have to get these things done before moving on to other things. Um, and there's no right or wrong answers. This is personality types, yeah. right? Um, another one would be, are you the type that, uh, so you go on Google Maps, right? You hit traffic, you're in stop and go traffic you hit Google Maps or iPhone Maps or whatever and uh stop and go traffic gets you to your destination in 28 minutes. You can go option B which takes you back roads. There's no traffic, but it takes you 32 minutes. So you got four extra minutes on that road, but you're not in traffic. Yeah. Which way are you taking? I'm taking the 32. Same. Yeah. I would I would definitely take that. Yeah. Um that shows I think most people because 28 to 32 may not be the best example. So 100%. But yeah. like a longer without stops. And, and it, uh, people who would go that way don't like still time. Correct. ADHD is anybody who has ADHD is going that way. Um, but they, they typically lack patience. They don't like to stand still. Um, so on and so forth. Right. But I'm asking these questions and they're just random fucking questions, but the good thing about random fucking questions, that have nothing to do with training that can tell me a lot about somebody's training is that you won't change your answer based on what I will do to your, to your training. Yep. Which is also why I don't want to go too in depth with the questions because then people listening who do s- end up working with me or are already working with me listen to this, they'll be like shifting how they tell me answers yeah. so that I change their training maybe. But two things to that
1: the client isn't going to, I would assume the client's not going to think too much into the answer because it's not anything to do with their training.
0: Exactly. That, and it's a very natural answer.
1: If somebody decides they want to, work with you. There's multiple different questions that you can ask that you're not going to mention on here. Hundred percent. So they're exactly. not going to think, oh, is this what they were talking? Yeah. About? Yeah.
0: So as I go through these questions, what I'm really trying to find out is a stress response, um, patience, uh, tempo, rest periods, frequency, a lot of these things. Because for example, somebody who will answer questions that allows me to believe that they're more prone to anxiety. They're more prone to overwhelm. Um, more is not better for them. More is actually worse because more equals more thinking, more overanalyzing, more cortisol production, stress hormone, uh, worse recovery, less adaptation. So a high-volume program is probably not the best thing for them. Um, Somebody who likes variation, likes change, they're going to want a shorter block. Somebody who gets anxiety from change is going to want a longer block. So I might have somebody who has a six-week training block and somebody who has a three-week training block because person B with a three-week training block has squirrel brain and gets bored real quick and they will lose mo- motivation very quickly after a few weeks, right? And this al- also tends to happen with training experience. So some of the things I ask is how long you've been training for? Because the longer you train, the more impatience you have with, with training typically. Um, but this goes into the frequency or the variation of exercises as well. Uh, depending on your answers, I might give you four exercises in a single session versus 10. Somebody does thrives with 10 exercises because they do a few sets of everything and they can move from one thing to the next. They can hit each muscle from different angles. Whereas another person wants to sit there and master the single exercise. Let me just focus on this. Let me do more sets, higher quality, ramp up weight, overload the muscle. I don't need to do a million things. This is where it's, there's a difference between science and, and real coaching because science would say you don't need to do three different exercises for your chest. You can literally get all of it done in one. And that's true, right? It's just volume. But if you do more sets of higher volumes with somebody who's not going to respond well to high volume or gets bored really quick, they drop off motivation and their perceived effort is lower than it actually should be. So now they're not training as hard because they're fucking bored, they're not motivated yeah. and they've they've already reached a level they say is their their high level perceived effort but it's really not there because they don't even give a shit, right? And it really does come down to that. So there's a series of questions that I'm asking to figure out how do we optimize these things to to... Because even somebody who the, for example, you and I taking the other way, supersets would work really good with us because if we go the other way, it's because we like to keep going. Stop and go traffic is mind numbing. Well, if we have a single exercise, we're the first people that would either A, absolutely need a timed rest period or B, would end up just rushing through the sets to get it done because we want to keep going. And that leads to a drop in performance. Research shows that if we take too little of a rest period, we're not able to lift as heavy. That leads to less volume and more metabolic fatigue. So now we get less muscle growth, less strength because we're in a rush. But if we superset, it delays the time before we get back to that exercise and we can do a push with a pull, which actually speeds up recovery from the push. So even if we do a short rest period after the pull, it's not negatively impacting, right? Right. But some people don't need to do that. And they'd actually lift heavier with just one exercise, not a superset. And I would only know that if I can figure out what kind of personality type they have. Right? So it's a deep dive into these. And there's a lot of questions. But these questions can allow me to see, like, how long should their training block be? How long, uh, like, what kind of training motivates them? So rep ranges, loads, I think um, motivation intensity. It also goes with
1: adherence if they're not motivated.
0: Exactly. That's the biggest one. Yeah. It, motivation is going to lead to better adherence and better intensity in the gym or effort in the gym both of which are the two most important things. You can do low rep, high rep, low volume, high volume. If you're not motivated to train, you're not gonna train hard enough and you're not gonna be consistent enough. Um, And it can tell me how many exercises per session, how much variation within the exercises they need, how much variation week to week. Like I'm literally able to adjust every little aspect of every training session, their training block, the periodization style, everything, like based on what their personality type is. and it's it's really cool because the few clients I've done it with, it's like they look, it's like I'm reading their brain.
1: Yeah.
0: In a way I am. But like they're so much more amped up to do this shit because in their like results are insane because they're literally in this place where it's it's the perfect program for them. Like I've been super stoked about it because I've been loving my training. Um, uh, but the people that I'm doing it with, especially for myself, I've done every fucking training program under the sun. So And my personality type is that of I like change. So I can just keep going back and forth between all these different programs and I'll have blast, but that doesn't produce the best results. So how can we string together the right variation frequency, all these things to still allow progression and progressive overload over time without basically sabotaging results because we're changing things too often, right? Or not changing them enough, depending on the person. Um, But That allows me to optimize recovery, optimize the type of volume and intensity that that person needs based on their stress capacity. And I say stress capacity because stress is stress, but different people perceive stress differently. Um, And that's the important thing here. Uh, Motivate clients to train harder, train more consistently, optimize their periodization, Uh, again, rest periods, tempos, even stuff like that. Um, And yeah, so the the personality type goes, is probably one of the most important things to be honest with you, out of everything we're going to talk about today. Um, and there's a specific way to do it. And it even bleeds into coaching, like how I coach somebody, yep. how I'm making adjustments, how I'm giving feedback, how I'm um, instructing them because they're going to respond differently depending on what their personality type is. Damn, so, that's good. Yeah.
1: All right, we will go to the next one. It is limb lengths.
0: This one's interesting. Um,
1: I think a lot of people are going to say, let's hear this.
0: Yeah, I think most good trainers... Uh, they they stop short on this. I did for a long time too. Um, if somebody has long femurs, you know they're going to be hip dominant squat. We all know the squatter that like does a good morning when they squat. It's like their hips go so far back, their chest leans forward, um, and that is about as far as they go. They go, oh, you have long legs, but usually it comes from like, oh, I noticed you sit back really far. It looks like you have long legs, so we're just going to have to strengthen your core so that you don't hurt your low back when you sh- when you train. And if you are a power lifter, that is great. And the reason I say that is because you, you can't change the exercise, even if that exercise is not designed for your body, because you have to power lift and powerlifting like it requires you to do the squat bench deadlift. So you can't go to a power meet meeting and go, hey, I actually do much better uh, with a split squat for my limb length. So I'm going to do that in the competition. They're like, no, fuck you. You have to do a back squat. So Point being is if you're a powerlifter, yeah, there's there, we, we know the powerlifters that sit way back. looks like good morning. Um, they're doing it because that's, their, that's what they compete in. But if you're not a competitive powerlifter, specifically if you want to change your body composition, what are you squatting for? Because if you have a super hip dominant squat, you're going to get a lot more glutes. You'll still get some quads. You'll actually even get some hamstrings. Your low back is going to take a ton of the tension. You're not really getting much, right? Whereas somebody with short legs can sit grass, chest tall, get a huge stimulus on their quads, and the squat is the best way to build their quads so if you 're squatting to build your quads, but you are not designed to squat for quads you 're wasting your time you 're mm-hmm. doing a lot of volume and you 're going to have to keep generating more and more and more volume to finally do enough to stimulate the quads at a higher degree when you could just change the exercise for your limb length and stimulate just your quads with a smaller amount of volume but get the best results as if you were doing a lot of volume you know what I mean so to me, this is the best way to get the best bang for your buck. It's a way for us to avoid excessive amounts of volume for anybody. So we can do less volume and get more out of what we're doing. It's the, the best way to remove junk volume, essentially. So some examples of this. Um, and, and all I'm going to say is because, again, I don't want to like – well, I can actually say every little detail and it won't give it away because nobody has the formula. You actually have to have a literal formula to determine things, but um, essentially we're looking at measuring literally joint by joint, every, every, like your legs, your arms, your wingspan, your height, um, tibia, femur, like everything. And then what we can determine is, is you're going to be in one of multiple categories. So there's multiple categories that tell us um, the length essentially of your, of your limb length, right? So um, it's not a matter of you're tall or you're short. Like there's there's three to four different categories for arms and for legs and for height versus wingspan. And each of those categories can tell us a different thing. And sometimes you have to combine those categories. Sometimes they're definitive. Um, and once you have those categories, there's actually a formula, like literally a math equation that allows me to determine, and I didn't invent this, but um, not many people know how to go this deep uh, with, with program design and assessment. But we can take that, use this formula, and then determine what exercises are best for you. So again, if you have long femurs, I'm just going to use that example, you're going to be very glute and hamstring dominant, not very quad dominant, which means that you're going to be posterior chain dominant, which means you need to focus more on your anterior chain, and it also means a squat is not a great exercise for you. And your stance for that squat is going to matter, The uh, whether you're doing bilateral or unilateral is going to matter. Um, again, if we're just talking about quad growth... You're gonna be way better off doing a split squat than a than a back squat for quad growth you're gonna be way better off doing leg extensions even more so a single leg leg extension um, you're gonna to want to do very specific exercises that allow you to isolate the muscle because with normal quad base squat movements you're not going to be able to isolate it even if you just jump on a on a leg press or a hack squat or anything if you don't set up your your foot positioning perfectly for your limb length you're not going to hit your quads and this is also why research and this goes to prove my point of like getting rid of junk volume. If we do a research study and they show, and this was an actual study, that 40 sets per muscle group per week optimized volume, everybody take it with a grain of salt because their recommendations, the people who did that study are still 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week. And the reason for that is because they were looking at the quads, the chest, lats, and triceps, I believe, because there was three exercises, lat pull down, leg press, bench press. Most of the time, that's what they do because it's way easier to do a ton of volume with just a few muscles and a few exercises, you know, because they can just... Basically, we don't have to worry about flies and floor press and push it. like you're doing bench press three times a week. We got to accumulate this amount of volume. Everybody can do it. It's easy, right? It's easy to control the variables. There you go. However, if we have a third of the group, the bench press is great for them. A third of the group, it's just okay. And a third of them, it's like the worst exercise for their chest, which is definitely going to be happen depending on these things. How accurate are those results? You know what I mean? Because somebody could have done 40 sets per muscle group and it did cause more growth, but- what if they did a better exercise for their biomechanics and they did half the volume and got just as much growth? That would be way less stress on the joints, way less set stress on the central nervous system, and it'd be way easier to recover from, which means they'd manage their cortisol levels better. Quality of life is better. They spend yeah. less time in the gym. Like, it's just, you're literally making so much better use of your time, you know? And if you're like, no, I want to train that much. Great. Well, we can do this with every muscle and you'll grow way faster head to toe, um, you know, so, or build more strength. But I think the point is, is that we have to use these limb lengths. And then again, this formula so that I can basically determine, and I have categories and indexes of essentially like the best exercises for these people versus these people versus these people. And it tells me, um, is this person uh, glute or is quad dominant, you know, or like posterior or anterior dominant? Is this person need of, are they mechanically advantaged for pulling or pressing? Are they going to need more or less unilateral work? Some people actually don't need as much. They actually do better with uh, like a a dumbbell press versus a single arm dumbbell press. And some people are the opposite. Um, Depending on your limb length, actually, you will have better arm development. So some people don't even really need to train arms that much. They're just always going to have great arms. Same thing with calves. That's why genetic calves are there. um, Because it's usually because they're limb length, not because their family has amazing calves. Yeah. Um, And limb length, not just like, do you have long legs or short legs? Because you have long legs and short femurs, or you can have long legs and long femurs. You know what I mean? Or you can have long legs and average femurs and tibia, right? And you don't have to be tall to have long legs. That's the other thing. As I start assessing people, you look at somebody who is short, and you immediately go, yeah, they don't have long legs. And then you realize they just have a really short torso Uh. and super long femurs. It's like, oh, shit, you have really long legs. I wouldn't have guessed that. Same thing with arms. Um, It changes your mechanical advantage or disadvantage for certain exercises, and it changes which ones are going to be more likely to cause injuries versus which ones are going to be your strengths or your weaknesses, whatever it may be. So um, your limb lengths play a massive role into how we program the best exercises for, for a person. And this is almost why I've realized that exercise selection is almost more important than total volume. Totally, Because it changes how much volume you even need to get the same result. And different kind of volume. Exactly, yeah, so...
1: All right, cool. Uh, we will move on to the next one. It will be movement screening.
0: So this, uh, the limb links is part of the movement screen. So the movement screen is kind of just like, um, it's clumped in with limb lengths. You know, you're doing your measurements and everything like that. Um, so the movement screen is gonna be pretty basic. I think everybody everybody who's a trainer should be doing this and it's it's kind of like the functional movement screen, right? FMS. Um, but at the end of the day, I gotta know, do you have good or bad thoracic extension good or bad thoracic rotation do you have good or bad ankle mobility do you have good or bad hip mobility do you have tight hip flexors tight glutes tight hamstrings tight lats tight pecs like all these things change your posture and your posture will determine a what kind of pre-activation and rehab kind of stuff we got to do to put you in a uh, less injury prone and a stronger and more stable position when doing exercise and loading your body but also it's, it's just like that is the fundamental basis of one, approval, are you capable of doing some of these movements as overload? Because if you can't squat because your ankle mobility, thoracic extension shit, why would I throw a bar on your back? Yeah, That's going to change, right? Even if a barbell back squat would be great for your quads, but from a movement perspective, you're not in a good place. I'm going to go with a split squat. I'm going to go with a front loaded squat. I'm going to do things that allow me to strengthen the muscles around your thoracic spine that will help Stabilize your back and create better extension. And then we're gonna work on some mobility to improve the extension because it's bad.
1: When you say front loaded, do you mean by bar or do you mind by?
0: Uh, it could be bar, sandbag, zercher, front load, like front racked barbell, kettlebell, anything. Okay, it's really just when it's in the front, you compress your rib cage down and your low traps between your scapulas fire a ton. So people, if you've ever done like a zercher carriers or squat, your like low traps, mid back will light up. But a lot of people who have bad thoracic extension, um, they typically have weak low traps too in rhomboids. So we want to build the strength around the spine. But the movement screen is just that. Like I want to make sure you move well. And there's a specific way to go about it to ensure that you are capable of performing the movements well enough to justify overload, right? Actually adding load to the to the bar or the dumbbell or anything at that matter. Um, and then to find out if there's any posture issues, right? If you have posture issues, which very common tight hip flexors, uh, tight shoulders and pecs and lats because you're sitting at a desk like I am right now in a seated position. Flexed, rounded, that's not going to be good. So that will change how much posterior work I do, how much upper back work I do if I'm adding any type of mobility or stretching. Um, And then you have people that are, they do active labor and it's night and day different. And I don't need to do nearly as much of that stuff, but generally, a movement screen is is just that. It's just a way for me to um, individualize the warm up, the mobility, and the the prehab, so the preactivation and in, in the anti-injury exercises that are going to allow us to train harder and better moving forward, if that makes sense. So, totally. um, really simple, and that's lumped into the uh, the limb length stuff. So we do measurements in the mobility uh, screen, basically.
1: Totally movement. Yep. Cool. All right, we will go on. Yeah. We got stretch reflex reliance.
0: So this is an interesting one. Um, the stretch reflex is, we've talked a little bit about this uh, kind of off to the side in a different topic. But the am- amuturization I can never pronounce it. But basically like when we go from the negative, so we have a slow negative, let's say. Um, or fast, doesn't matter. The point is, is you have the negative, which is the downward phase. If I'm doing a bench press, it's me pulling the barbell towards my chest. And then we have the positive or the concentric. So the eccentric is the negative, And then the positive is the concentric where we're pressing up. That That period of time where I stop the bar and start pressing it, that's the transition from eccentric to concentric or negative to positive. That's this phase. That's the transition, the amortization phase. The stretch reflex is essentially the speed at which we go through that movement phase. So uh, a good stretch reflex or somebody who relies on their stretch reflex is somebody who is very reactive. So for example, if I like control, 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 and then right before I touch my chest with a bar, I almost like, let go of the weight so I can like bounce it, even if I don't bounce it off my chest, but I use that momentum on my joints to press the bar, that means I'm relying on the stretch reflex. Now, some would argue that that could cause injuries. Some would argue that it could strengthen tendons and ligaments. And if you're doing heavy overloaded negatives, there's actually research to show it does strengthen tendons and ligaments. Um, but if somebody relies on that, it's gonna change the way we do rep cadences and tempos. Because if somebody is uh, a person who relies on it, To some extent, we can't change it, right? It's just how they train. It's the way they train. So if I can test it, which I do through different types of exercises that I have the client film so I can watch how they perform them, that'll determine uh, essentially the tempo. Um, If I want to improve or like rely less on it, improve their ability to not rely on it, I'm going to add more pauses and slow negatives. If I want to increase their stretch reflex, I'm going to avoid pauses because I want them to use the momentum. If I want to build maximum strength and I'm starting to get in that submax zone, I'm definitely not going to add a pause or anything like that for somebody who's really heavily relying on the stretch reflex because they rely on that ability to get a little bit of a stretch reflex at the bottom of a movement to press through the top. So if I remove that and I make them pause, they're going to be significantly weaker, especially because they don't have confidence in the lift because they got to change how they naturally want to do it. It's going to feel awkward to them. Um, for somebody who has a great stretch reflex, reactive jumps, reactive throws, speed work that is uh, ballistic, so like rep after rep after rep is really good for them. Um, it's why like you'll see uh, if, if you did like repetitive jump squats, the person who has a good stretch reflex or relies on that, they're going to jump and then as they land, they're already going into a good position to rapidly basically transition from land to jump so they can jump again, whereas somebody who has a bad one is going to be land, arms back, and then jump again. It's like this delay. Well, let's not make them feel awkward and cause injury. Let's just have them do squats with a pause landing because that's what they naturally want to do and jumps are notorious for landing. And if we're really trying to create the maximal amount of uh, force applied through the floor, which is the point of doing a speed deadlift or a speed box squat or a jump of any kind, then I want to do what they naturally feel is best because they're going to generate the most force through the floor by doing what is natural to them. And if all I really care about is maximum strength, maximum power, maximum hypertrophy, then I want to stimulate the muscles in the nervous system at the maximum amount, which means I'm not going to take them out of their natural element. I'm going to tell them, do a pause or we're doing reactive because you're going to generate more force by like bouncing out of it and being reactive. Um, So there's ways to test this, but I want to be able to see that because it it changes and it'll allow you to give some clients some some wiggle room with like – swinging and bouncing reps. A lot of people will say, like, oh, that's cheap reps, you know, and you got to go super slow. Well, if you go too slow, that's going to destroy somebody's ability to lift heavy because you're literally taking them out of their natural element and you're you're making them do a tempo that doesn't come naturally to them and it's not what their body and their nervous system wants to yeah. do and therefore, they're not going to be able to lift as heavy, they're not going to be able to have as much volume and they're not going to get as bad, good of results. So I'd rather do less sets their natural way with more weight, you know, and that that means, like, a bent row, oh, you want to swing a little bit? Cool. Keep your back flat, keep your core tight, crush the barbell, swing. I don't care. A little bit of swing's fine. Same thing with a, a one-arm row. If you want to rotate a little bit and kind of swing it up so you can go heavier and control negative, cool, do it, right? And a lot of times if you watch people, even on a row, they'll row normal tempo, they're they're slow on the way down, and then right before the bottom of the row, they'll kind of drop it so they can swing it back up. Well, that's like a few inches of the range of motion. So if we go, okay, like bounce a little bit on that few inches, safely so that you can use momentum to row a heavier dumbbell and control the negative with a heavier dumbbell you're gonna get better results it's more load so um the stretch reflex is something you should know about because it can allow you to program in a way that limits injuries and favors their bodies and their nervous systems natural way of performing a movement so you can maximize strength and power Totally simple um but again something people don't think about totally you know or know about exactly yeah Yeah. Um, know to think yeah cool
1: all right, we will move on to the next one, which is muscle fiber dominance. This one is, like,
0: semi-debunked lately. Um, it's just so hard to test. So, like, the the easiest way to do this is to take 80% of your one rep max, put it on a bar, and max out. And depending on where you land with your reps, you can determine if you are fast-twitch dominant, slow-twitch dominant, or, um, like, a hybrid, like, you're 50-50. Now, the reason this has been debunked is because they've tried to um, – Change programming and stuff like that to change somebody's muscle fiber type, which you definitely can do, but it takes so fucking long. For example, they have uh, studies on like identical twins. One um, became a marathon runner, and one became uh, like a powerlifter. And this is like legit. I think it was a powerlifter. I mean, it was a CrossFitter or Olympic lifter. Something with fast twitch, right? Could have been football, whatever. But one was definitely a uh, endurance runner, which is very slow twitch dominant. But they're identical twins, which means they were born with the same genetic makeup, right? Which means they were born with the same fiber type dominance right but as they grew up doing different sports their body changed and the the slow twitch uh, or the endurance runner basically morphed into somebody who was slow twitch dominant because he needed that in order to keep performing his sport the 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 sport the guy that was doing football or olympic lifting whatever it was i want to say it was probably can't remember. it was lifting of some sort or a sport that required lifting he became very fast twitch dominant because his body changed based on what he was performing with so you definitely can but i don't think there's any studies showing this process happening Um, it's just proof of it happening because that's two identical twins who started playing sports as kids and then were tested later in life you know you're not gonna do many studies like that um but uh depending on your fiber type you can determine should this person be doing lower volumes heavier weights higher volumes lighter weights should they focus on like longer time under tensions, time sets, tons of muscular fatigue, or they should, should they just be focusing on overloading the weight, um, more power development, neurological training and work. Um, so there's ways to change your training based on what you are dominant with slow or fast, which, um, but the only way to really test it without going and getting a muscle biopsy, which nobody's going to do, uh, which is where they take a piece of your muscle tissue and then they test it. Um, and it's very small, so it's not like it's crazy, but Nobody's paying allowed to do that, really. Um, But when you do this 80% of your wonder at max and you test it, you can determine which category you fall into, and then that could determine the types of volume and intensity and type of exercises you would do, too. Do you rely more on explosive training, more on compound lifts, or do you rely on more higher volume accessory and isolation work? This can kind of help you guide. And some people might have goals of bodybuilding, so they try to go to that, but they are more fast-twitch dominant. Like if I get a CrossFitter... Um, crossfitters are probably hybrid. So if I get an Olympic lifter, there's ways to train that person for bodybuilding or physique development while utilizing the fact that they're definitely going to be fast, push dominant because they've been playing, doing Olympic lifting for, for years. And that's very fast, twitch dominant. Um, but the only way to test it is to test these exercises and see where they fall in that category. And the reason it's semi debunked is because there's a lot of muscles that are, um, like 50, 50. So your quads are typically half and half. Um, And it's hard to say because if somebody has, let's say they they test as slow twitch on every lift, but then on their their squat they test as fast twitch. But you have to look closely and go, is it because they didn't perform that many reps, which would typically lead to this. Like if you have a really high one rep max, but you take 80% of that and you can't perform very many lifts or many reps, it means that you're probably fast twitched on you You have the potential to go really heavy with one rep, but you can't do a lot of volume with a slightly lower uh, weight on the other side if you're slow twitch you can do high volumes high rep counts but you have a low one rep max come relatively speaking oh, yeah. so the the argument is basically well if this person isn't proficient at the lift they might not be able to lift heavy for the one rep max simply because the skill not there yeah um which is very true so you have to use these different tests and choose specific exercises with the right person because knowing the limb length stuff, I got to choose the right exercise and I got to make sure they're skilled at that movement so that we can eliminate that factor um, before doing the test. Um, and then at the end of the day, it's like, it's like knowing what muscle groups this matters with and which ones it doesn't. Um, and how much relevance it plays into your training. Again, I think it's going to play the most relevant with how much we rely on explosive or compound lifting. Um, Versus, like, some people will argue, like, well, the hamstrings are more slow twitch, so you only want to do low reps. Like, that's been debunked. Like, that's not the best way to go. Um, you're probably going to be better off doing some low and some high with all uh, movements and exercises and muscle groups. But you can get a little bit more granular if you know a little bit of where their their dominance is. Especially because even if I'm 50-50, my body might rely on the fast twitch muscle uh, fibers faster or more quickly. So when I go into a lift, I'm able to fire those faster than the next person. Yeah. And those tell us how close we are to fatigue. So essentially when we think of RPE and we think of going to failure and our ability to build more fast, twitch muscle fires, which we want, it, it really is just a matter of going to failure or close to it. Because when we get really close to that threshold, that's when, even if we're doing high reps, our fast, twitch fibers generate more in fatigue at that end point, because most people would assume you have to do low reps because that's typical. If you're doing really heavy weights for one to three reps, that's fast twitch dominant. If you're doing 10 to 15 reps, that's slow twitch. But if I'm taking the slow twitch fibers to 10 reps and then I have my last five reps are super fatiguing, I'm generating the fast twitch fibers on those last five reps. Um, so it's about how fast does this person recruit those and how do we want to program to make sure that we're there recruiting them faster so we can try to again, get more out of less volume Yeah, is what it boils down to. But um, everybody's different in this category and there's, there's ways to test it with exercises and with, uh, some history of them as a trainee or an athlete to determine what they rely on most. Totally. So
1: I think that this last one even, uh, kind of relates to that talking about their history. Uh, next one is their past training programs that they have performed or used.
0: Yeah. This is the last one, right? Yep. Okay. So, um, this is good for what I just said. So um, you can figure out what, what they rely on. You can figure out what their skill is. You can also learn a lot about their personality type because if somebody has always done CrossFit and loves CrossFit, then there's a lot about them as a person that's, that tells us why they like CrossFit and what they like about CrossFit and how that can affect the way we program for them going forward. Um, but the, the exercise history, there's two things here. One, it tells us more about – what they're good at, their muscle fiber dominance, as well as what they will stay consistent with and what they enjoy, what motivates them. But it also allows us to implement some things that create a lot of novelty. If somebody's been doing the same thing forever, you guys know, the best program is a program they haven't been on yet. So, we want to use their exercise history to find the hidden gems that they haven't used yet. Let's find the tools and the strategies and the methods that they have not tried yet that we think would be optimal because not only are they an optimal strategy, but they're also going to create a lot of novelty. And novelty is a new stimulus and a new stimulus is the fastest way to shock new growth. Um, it's what creates the most muscle damage. Now, if you can't recover from the muscle damage, it's not going to be great. But using exercise history and what they've done in the past tells us so much about what they love, what they don't love, what hurts, what doesn't hurt, what movements they like, and what they have never done before so we can stimulate more growth through the aspect of novelty and this new stimulus that they haven't felt or seen or tried yet. Um, so the biggest thing with exercise history is just learning more about the individual and then determining what is going to create that novelty stimulus. because. Totally. No matter who you are, you have to do that. And whether it's novel because you haven't done it in five years or it's novel because you've never done it, there has to be an element in every single training block that is new to you because it's going to stimulate your mind to train harder, but also it's going to generate some muscle damage and fatigue. And when you take your muscle to max fatigue, it is going to help a lot. So
1: It's crazy how all of it kind of intertwines and comes back to each other. Every single one of them relates. Yeah.
0: And that's what's cool about it, man. Like as I lay these out for a client, they all align together and sync up together so they they build off each other, you know, it, create it, the best. Yeah. I mean, it, it helps a lot. So, um, like I said, at the beginning guys, uh, this, this podcast was not designed as a, as a sales pitch. I really wanted to just kind of like talk about this because, uh, I mean, for one, I'm actually flying out in just a, like after this weekend, as we're recording this, um, to my good buddy, Jake Lures, who is the singer of August Burns Red and metal band. He's actually been on the podcast before to talk about mental health. Um, he owns a gym, he owns a nonprofit, uh, and he's the singer of a, um, he looks up. It's nominated. I, it's nominated. Okay, yeah. Grammy nominated uh, metal band, and uh, he twice. he's flying me out. Um, put on if you ever want to like do something funny for your family, like put on their Christmas album at Christmas. It's. It is like literally like uh, Jingle Bells, but it's like death metal screaming <laughs> Jingle. It's fucking hilarious. It's actually dope. Like I like it, but it's it's hilarious if you do it at a family event. Yeah. Me and my brother did it way back. So, uh, but he's flying me out to kind of go over some of this stuff with his staff at his gym, which is really cool. So I'm able to go teach them, and it was like, oh man, we sh-, as I'm creating this presentation, we should. We should do a podcast about this, but I am taking a few people on. So um, like I said at the beginning, if you're listening to this, if this podcast intrigues you, if you've been stuck in your training, if you're intermediate or advanced, if you feel like you have been trying everything, you've been spinning your wheels, you have done all the programs, you have tried all the different methods, and you're just tired of spinning your wheels. You're tired of not seeing progress. You're tired of not looking like you lift, yet you lift all the fucking time. It is a very common frustration, and uh, I can solve that for you. And this is how we do it. So if you want the ultimate tailored experience, uh, this is for you. And you can find out more by just emailing me. This is not like a application specific thing on our website. So of course, anybody listening who loves this stuff but maybe doesn't feel like the ultimate approach and this high end thing is for you, of course you can apply for coaching with us, and we will t- chat with you about what our uh, normal tailored coaching looks like, which is still more in depth in uh, connection and science based than anybody else in the industry, honestly. And that's at tailoredcoachingmethod.com/online-coaching but if you want to work with me directly and you want this ultimate experience and you want to do this part with me, uh, just email me Cody at tailoredcoachingmethod.com. So we appreciate you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time.